0: Welcome to The Ringer NFL Show. My name is Robert Mays. I'm a writer at The Ringer. Joining me on the other line, it's Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm a little better than Mike Mularkey. Yeah, what a weird thing that is. I mean, that's not what I want to talk about today, uh, considering uh, what happened over the weekend, but... Pretty pretty
1: surprising. The second most surprising kind of development over the last 24 hours, I'd say. The visual sort of approximation of what happened to Mike Malarkey is exactly what happened to Marcus Williams. Just right in position there, and then <laughs> kind of ducked under and and missed his missed his shot.
0: It all ties. We're going to dig into that. I I mean, I guess there's really no other place to start. We're going to talk about all four games today. Yep. I mean, there's what else would we do following a fantastic divisional weekend? But Let's begin in Minnesota, where I was last night, sure. and I'm telling you, man, I still this morning was just sitting there kind of shaking my head and smiling, thinking about it. That play happened coming toward the sideline I was sitting on in the end zone I was sitting in and just watching it unfold and the reaction of the crowd. I mean, it was like a cannon shot. Yep. I it's just a moment. And in the aftermath, too, is just something I will never, ever forget. And I I won't even. Forget how powerful it was anytime
1: soon. Every single bit of that is just kind of burned into my brain. So, Chase Stewart, who does a great job, had an article this morning which I found really fascinating. So, that crazy Niners Saints game a couple of years ago, uh, four lead yep. changes in the final five minutes, Breeze was there. Um, the Beast Quake game, he was there. Um, and then yesterday, obviously. of all Drew Brees playoff games have featured 56 or more points scored. (laughs) And just think about
0: the lead changes in that San Francisco Saints game, too. I mean, that game was nutty.
1: Yeah. 10% of all other games feature that many points, which means when Drew Brees is in a playoff game, you are six times more likely to get a shootout like this. Drew Brees, and I, we'll give all, I'm going to give all the credit in the world to the, the Vikings in a second. Drew Brees is the quiet MVP of the playoffs because every time he plays, he doesn't even win these games, but every time he's in a game, <laughs> it's going to be fun.
0: I mean, that second half was just unbelievable. I mean, you watch the first half of that game, and I compared it in what I wrote this morning. I was like watching the Vikings defense is like watching a boa constrictor. Yeah. I mean, they just suffocate you slowly and just crush the life out of you over time. And that's what they did. I mean, both of those picks are just fantastic plays. Sendejo getting back in, you know, as a single deep safety to make that play up the seam. You know, Breeze underthrew it a little bit, but it's a fantastic play by C- by Sandejo. And then how Everson Griffin managed to get his hand on that ball that Anthony Barr picked off, I still don't know. He yeah. didn't even see where Breeze was. He just threw his hand up and knocked it down. I mean... It just seemed like they were coming through with all these plays. The Saints could barely get anything going. Mid seventeen, nothing in half. And you're like, Okay, the Vikings are in control. Vikings are gonna win this game. I mean, this is the Vikings plan to a T. You know, Keenum's throwing fifty fifty balls at him and he's coming down with them. You know, they're running the ball decently well. It's like this is the Vikings kind of boiled down. And then Drew Brees essentially goes in t- the locker room, comes out at halftime and says, Fuck that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that's incredible. not how this is gonna go incredible uh four lead changes in the last three minutes including three times in the, in the last 90 seconds i mean it was certainly one of the best games i've ever seen you were there i'm jealous i was in the office con- continually re-recording things because we, I, I recorded a video with at at 17 to nothing and then we kept having to reshoot the stuff as the game kept changing. <laughs> we kept having to go outside. I swear to God, it, it, was, it was hilarious. And so, I mean, real quick, I want to talk about Marcus Williams. I mean, and you can yeah. talk about the play, but Marcus Williams, second in the NFL in uh, receptions per snap among all safeties. He's been he, fantastic. He is sixth in the NFL in tackle rate this is not a guy who you'd expect to be in that situation. It was bad luck. It was a timing thing. As Sean Payton said, they were sort of coached for no pass interference. And and when you're coached to that, I think it gets in your head and you sort of short circuit a little bit. Uh, What did you see from the play specifically and, and from your reporting as well, Robert?
0: I think that's what he said is that they didn't want to commit pass interference. It was funny because Diggs said afterward, You know, they were talking to him about what his idea was in that moment. And the thought was with that route, let's get a chunk play out of bounds and maybe be able to kick a field goal. That's the goal, obviously. And that's what Diggs was thinking, even as he was out in the route. And Diggs said something interesting. He said, I took a picture before I turned around and I knew he was the only guy there. So if he missed me, I knew I was good to go. And that's just incredible wherewithal in that moment from Diggs to kind of keep his wits about him, maintain his balance and spin around in that very small area. I mean, he easily could have stepped out of bounds even if he wasn't trying to. So, I mean, just that entire play was unbelievable athleticism. I mean, people, somebody after the game was trying to say it was kind of a routine catch. I was like, he was a foot and a half off the ground. (laughs) Who said that? Like, if he doesn't... That's just somebody when I was I was talking to afterwards, just like having a beer after the game, watching the replays, was like, what what, what is routine about that? No. Like th- that guy, he goes and gets the ball, and if he doesn't come back to the football in that moment, Williams isn't gonna miss him. He's gonna s- catch the ball flat footed. Williams is not gonna go for him, and he's gonna tackle him inbounds, and the game's gonna be over. Well, I And, thought, and instead, I, we have the greatest playoff finish maybe in the history of football.
1: I thought it was funny that. Diggs' teammates were screaming for him to get a bounce. That, that was my thought, too. Because yeah. I assumed... Keenum wanted him, too, as well. I, I I assumed when you look at the camera angle, obviously you didn't have this phenomenon because you were there. The camera angle was sort of tight. And so I thought he was going to have to like run through... It was going to be like a, a the end of a football movie where you have to run through three guys and then drag a guy across sure. the goal line. So I, I saw him like, why is he still in bounds? It's crazy. And then I realized there was just no one in front of him. Yeah. It was incredible I mean, just
0: watching it unfold was it was literally unbelievable. Uh, I mean, I just I couldn't imagine that it was it, really happening in the moment. Neither could those it's guys It's different.
1: I mean, it's different because so the two best plays since I started covering football, in my opinion, were the Malcolm Smith, Richard Sherman tip play um, yeah. in the NFC championship game and the Malcolm Butler interception the difference between those two plays and this play is that something incredible didn't have to happen in this instance. Like it could have, they could have just gone quietly in the night and that's why you sort of went from, from zero to a hundred. We've seen these sort of plays a million times and very, very, very rarely does anything come of it. Um, The other two instances, you know, the other team was close to scoring. So something was going to happen either way. It wasn't like going from 0 to 100. That's what I think is, is different about this. It's just the the surprise of it all that something happened in this spot. Yeah.
0: I mean, it was really hard to process for everybody. I mean, I so much happened so quickly that there was really no way to get your mind around it. I mean, in the locker room afterward, incredulity is the word I would use. I mean, that's what it was. No yeah. one could believe that what had just happened i'll never forget keenum sitting there next to bradford and people were listening to Diggs and kind of around Thielen. and i think i was the only person who may have heard this he's sitting there talking to bradford and he goes we ran the same play four times like what did they think we were going to do and he puts it he he did that in between like having his face in his hands i mean this is a half hour after the game is over and there's still just no processing of it whatsoever i mean keenum afterward was it was so funny to watch him up there. He's just sitting there like shrugging and just shaking yeah. his head. I mean, as he tried to describe it was somebody's was asking him what his pre-snap read was before the play, and he goes, Well, you know, there are pre-snap reads, and and then you can just see him stop himself and go, You know what, man? I just threw it. <laughs> and he just caught it. Like that it really the- was that kind of simple in the moment.
1: One thing I'll say, I I I think the 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 default in those cases is to act like you've been there before or yes. act like you don't care. Case kingdom really cared and it was really fun and cool to see because yeah. it was a mixture of, of just pure elation and also just pure disbelief. I mean, this yep. was a guy who was buried by Jeff Fisher last this time last year. Um, I mean, it's, this is not anything. It was funny. Someone, I I, I want to say it was Michael David Smith that said, if you'd given, Everyone on Earth, the you know, uh, twenty guesses on who the conference championship quarterbacks would be. You would think you you might guess Foles based on some. Okay, maybe it's a it's a backup or or whatever. I mean, Keenum Keenum was nowhere. I mean, yeah. Keenum. I I remember I was in camp in in Minnesota and I saw Keenum there and I sort of chuckled. Because you're thinking, okay, Bradford's got this. And then at that point, we didn't know. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is is in the mix now. He's at least practicing. So you're thinking, okay, by the time Bridgewater gets back, Kane will be third string. I mean, I, I remember joking around about whether or not he was an upgrade over Sean Hill. Um, I, I, I had that answer now.
0: Yeah. Case Kingdom isn't a perfect quarterback. I mean, he's going to do some stuff that kind of drives you crazy. That interception was brutal. But that the reason he threw that interception, the same kind of ethos that creates that interception is what allowed their passing game to make the plays that they needed to last night. I mean, every yeah. time, I, I asked him this after the game, if he's ever played in an offense or been surrounded by this, if he's ever had a supporting cast where he has this level of innate trust in just what they, who they are and what they can do. And, and, yeah. is, and, I, and what, I, what I wanted, the question is, I, I was curious because he's just so willing to uncork these 50-50 balls to his guys. And for the most part, it worked out last night. Think about all the throws that were put into guys that were not necessarily open, but there wasn't more than one guy covering them. You have those two pass interference plays early in the half, in the first half. One to Treadwell, one to Diggs. That is, those are 50-50 passes that just given them a chance. The ball to Thielen down the left sideline that he had to leap for, that was a contested catch. The ball to Jarius Wright, they ran this play so many times where they had their slot guy kind of wheel out, and they had Rudolph often as the... Split receiver kind of come inside in order to do that little cross action and they ran it to right right after the interceptions the first throw he had and he puts it on the money and the throw to Thielen on the four bath go ahead field goal at the end that 24 yarder with the pass interference every single one of those nobody's open there's no Burton there's no room there there's no space he's just saying I'm gonna let my guys go get it and when you have this group of pass catchers I don't hate that as a strategy.
1: I cannot remember a more interesting win probability graph than this game. I'm looking at it on Pro Football Reference, and it's just like from the second quarter on, it's Vikings, Vikings, Vikings. Then it just completely tanks, and then right at the last second, it goes right back up. It's really, it is a uh, beginning of a disaster movie. Reading the the seismograph type type deal, it is incredible.
0: Um, is there anything else you want to say about this game? I mean, I think that uh, yeah, a couple of the plays I, that, that I, Breeze I, made just. The, the throw to Kamara on the wheel was just disgusting. And then yeah. for him to check, did you see Dan Orlovsky did a good job of breaking this down on Twitter last night. They The touchdown to Thomas, the play action, was originally supposed to be a sprint out to the right side. Kamara was offset in, in their formation. And Terrence Newman was in the slot and called it out. He's like, he's offset. They're, they're not going to be able to run it. This is a sprint out to the right. Breeze saw that Newman said that checked the play to a play-action throw because he knew that Newman was going to have outside leverage to take away the the sprint out and let Thomas work back inside on the play-action for an easy touchdown. It's just like quarterbacking genius at its very finest and like watching one of
1: the all-time
0: greats do what he does. And that was the entire second half last night.
1: Incredible. The the one thing I I wanted to ask you very briefly because we're not going to be able to talk about them again until the offseason, Drew Brees basically said we'll be back which hints that the breeze is going to stick around New Orleans. Assuming that, what does the future look like as far as just a really talented young New Orleans team and paired with a guy who, what, what age did he turn today? He's 39. Do you think that the breeze can come back and they can have this sort of run again? Or or what, what do you see the next 12 months for the for the Saints looking like?
0: I think the answer is probably yes. I mean, they yeah. didn't Me necessarily too. get, a ton of injury luck this year i mean their stars on defense stayed healthy which is really big but they lost some guys here and there you like little guys like alex anzalone you know a starter that they penciled in that they couldn't play you know they lose nick Fairley before the season even starts you know alex okafor was a guy who was playing extremely well for them you know this isn't a team like say minnesota or even atlanta that you know had a spotless season you you know you could see them doing something similar again, because it's not like everything fell their way in year one. I feel, you know, it's hard to be good consistently in the NFL. I feel like they jumped on a lot of teams who knows if the defense in sustain, but I mean, especially on offense, this is a group you have to be excited about I mean, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara are both going to be on rookie contracts. You know, you have an offensive line that it's pretty much set. You know, those guys aren't going anywhere. That yep. group is here to stay based on when they've accumulated those guys. So, yeah, I mean, I think they have a chance to be good for as long as Breeze is Breeze. And I mean, based on last night and everything we saw this year, is there any reason to think that he's going to fall off?
1: Well, but also, Aside from age. I think that one of the things that we we learned this year is that even if he has a little bit of a fall off, that doesn't necessarily matter in in the current yeah. NFL. I mean, if if we've learned, look at three of the four teams that are left. If you're a above average quarterback or in some cases an average quarterback and you're surrounded with not only good skill position players but a defense you're going to be in the mix and so that's the thing with breeze is okay he took a little bit of a dip this year and it's so hard to divorce the fact that he's not passing you know they went seven and nine the last three years and it's so hard or he he won seven games the last three years it's so hard to to say okay you know his I think he he lost a thousand yards off of his total passing yards this year. Well, he's not passing every down. So it's, you know, it was a different season for him. But if he takes a step back next year, it's not a crisis like it would have been four or five years ago where you just had to have an elite quarterback to compete.
0: Okay. So while we're on that topic, let's get to the man of the hour here. Uh, Mr. Blake Bortles won a playoff game. Oh, I didn't anymore. know who the it, man
1: of the hour was going to be. In, in, in
0: which he scored 45 points against the Steelers. I, I know every. I wrote to say I know everyone knows that by now, but I keep finding myself needing to say it over and over again because it doesn't make any sense. Incredible. I mean, that game was the fact that that wasn't the most wild game of divisional Sunday is all you need to know <laughs> about what yesterday was. I just. I couldn't believe it in the moment as I was watching. It was like, this is just bonkers. But at the same time, I feel like among all of this, the hubbub and all of the celebration about the Jaguars defense, we haven't really given enough credit to the job that Doug Marone and Nathaniel Hackett have done this season. We have not. I mean, that offense was middle of the road with Blake Bortles, at quarterback, and he had some real stinkers. It's a very well-constructed offense. And I think that yesterday was their masterpiece. I mean, the game plan was utterly perfect. So many gorgeous designs. And, you know, Blake did what he needed to do, but he was really helped by a ton of schematic stuff yesterday. I mean, the yep. amount of play action throws that just gave them easy chunks was fantastic. And you know, you can blame the Steelers for terrible defense, but that Bohannon touchdown, that's really hard to do anything about. I mean, what are you going to do on that? I mean, the first drive they ran that Kovac play action uh throw where he came back across the formation like he was sealing the backside. I mean, that's just beautiful marriage between your run and your pass. And you have to give Bortles credit for hitting those throws,
1: but the coaching staff won that game for the Jaguars yesterday. Blake Bortles hitting a fullback to go up 42 to 28 on the road against the Steelers is the funniest moment of the NFL season by a wide margin. By a wide margin. So there's a couple of things. Number one, The Jaguars, and this is skewed by the Jimmy G game, but at this point, the Jaguars have given up over 30 points a game in their last four road games. And it's interesting because since October 1st, the Patriots have given up three points less points per game than the Jaguars. The Jaguars, I still think, are in the top five if you're just going from October on. But I think the narrative of this you know, unstoppable Jaguars defense. It's a little bit, I think they have incredible players. We've written about it a million times. We both love the Jaguars, but I think this, this notion that this is a historically dominant team, uh, not uh, getting a little overhyped at this point. I think the Jaguars are just a quarterback away from being a complete team, which means you're a complete team in, 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 tw- in the 2018 playoffs. I think that uh, exactly what you said, Marone uh, put, Bortles and incredible schematic positions Bortles made a couple throws man I mean it it wasn't much it Uh, wasn't much and a lot a lot of guys could have been an upgrade from him yesterday but I mean generally Bortles did his job he was utter trash for most of the second and third quarters
0: I mean there was a stretch where they could not do anything in, in the air whatsoever but when it came down to it at the end and at the beginning he did what he had to do I mean that throw to Keelan Cole that's a ballsy throw, and it's a really good one. I mean, it's just a perfectly placed ball again on play action down the middle of the field. And you know what else? He made a lot of throws on third down that I was very impressed by. They did a ton of stuff where they cleared out the outside with uh the outside receivers. They would clear out just with the, the two vertical routes and come back underneath with something in breaking on third down. And two things allowed that to work: one, Bortles put the ball on the money more often than not when they asked them to do that, and two. That he had time for those plays to develop, and the Jaguars yep. just dominated that game up front. I mean, whether it was pass protection or in the running game, they really pushed around a Steelers front four that's very good. You know, the linebacking core is depleted, but those guys up front can play, and they kind of kicked their ass for four straight quarters.
1: Um, I, obviously, this, this is a problem and uh, an issue that goes well beyond yesterday's game, but. This was the game where you noticed how, how uh, big of an impact Ryan Shazier had on that defense. hundred percent. Yeah, they missed him desperately. I mean,
0: for a lot of different reasons. I mean, think about it. I mean, that Bohannon touchdown is exactly what that's designed yep. to exploit. Yep. It's just the middle of the field when you have a speedy guy there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a great game plan. I mean, I, and I, Roethlisberger, you know, the interception's terrible, even though it's a great play by Miles Jack, which whatever, the fact that Miles Jack is just there and the fumble is his fault. I mean that you have to you cannot drift into the pass rush like that. You have to get rid of that. I mean that's just where he he knows better than that. He cannot hold the ball that long. And I know this is a weird thing to say because those were two game-changing plays. Outside of those two
1: turnovers, he was kind of magnificent yesterday. Yep. He he dropped back, I think he had 57 pass attempts yesterday. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean that was that was similar to his numbers in the first game. And obviously it was a shootout, and, and and the game changed a million times. But I I was under the assumption that they were trying to not have him pass more than fifty times. But what are you going to do? I mean, they made it happen. I mean, they were getting they were gashing him when
0: they needed to. I mean, it those two Antonio Brown touchdowns, my God! Oh, I know. That's my point. What is that man? Like, he's not a man. I guess that's probably the answer. I don't know. I, I still don't understand how he caught either of those balls. Like, AJ Boye was. In his pocket, and he managed to come down with two touchdowns. <laughs> like, the guy's just AJ ridiculous. Boye,
1: he, re- he, 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 uh, both times, I, I AJ Boyer's reactions to those two touchdowns were very funny to me. Like, I like AJ Boyer, but like, both times, he reacted a little bit like, uh, I don't know, like a heel professional wrestler who's like an indignant about what just occurred. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he, both times he couldn't believe it, and then sort of theatrically looked to the referee, like "What the hell just happened?" And the answer was Antonio Brown happened. Yeah, that's enough. I don't think either of them bad for you. Yeah, neither of them were. I mean, like the first one, he was really calling for a push off, but I didn't see a whole lot. I just think it was. When you get, I mean, it's very similar to when you get dunked on in basketball and you just assume it's a foul. A lot of times it's not a foul. It's just you got dunked on and you don't know what happened. I, I want to
0: talk about the second Antonio Brown touchdown because I think it speaks to a larger issue with the Steelers. Not necessarily an issue, but something that came up a couple of times yesterday. So that throw was a 43-yard touchdown that came on fourth and five, which is kind of in line with the attitude the Steelers typically use in the passing game. It doesn't really matter what the down and distance is on third and fourth down. They're going to do whatever the hell they want. And oftentimes it can lead to spectacular plays like that. It's a 43-yard p- play when you need five yards. Earlier in the half, though, it's fourth and one. Roethlisberger comes to the line of scrimmage. He checks to a play-action throw and hooks like a 15. I, don't, I can't remember exactly how far downfield it was. I believe it was like 15 yards to Juju, who and, and was tightly covered almost comes down with it does not turn over on downs. And I know that people were kind of destroying that choice because they needed three feet to get a first down, but you can't really have it both ways in my mind. Like the Steelers either play like that or they don't. The issue I have is with the fourth and one call where he checks to that pitch that goes back six yards
1: that I have a problem with. Was that a, was that some sort of tribute to former Steelers tight end Mike Malarkey? <laughs> I thought it was the Steve Sarkeesian special. That's, that's how I saw it. it. It says a lot about the NFL that that could have been a tribute to any number of play callers in the NFL. What do the Steelers do? It's a great question. I, I Roethlisberger seemed to say that he was coming back.
0: So you have to worry about what they're going to pay Bell. I mean, this is a team that I, I wouldn't necessarily pencil it in the same way I would with the Steelers, with the Saints, just because it's a much different trajectory, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's completely different. And, you know, you have to, I, I, you get a franchise Le'Veon Bell and I guess go for another year with this core. Um, do you make any coaching staff changes? No, maybe. I don't know. I, I, mean, guess, I guess it you depends. Maybe say it's hard. That it's-
0: Todd Haley's kind of the, like this has gotten stayed, but you can say that, but this is a team that just put up 42 points on the Jaguars and was one of the best offenses in the league again.
1: Agree. I mean, they just need a couple more elite players on the defense. I know that that's easier said than done, but you lose Shazier, you, you gotta have, you gotta have something there. Um, I mean, here's the thing, though, man.
0: There's some decisions to be made right now. They're sitting about two point seven million dollars in cap according to over the cap yeah. for next year, and that's without Bell. I mean, they're really up against it. I mean, this is a team. It's hard to be up against it in today's NFL. But some of
1: these teams, man, they, they do manage. Well, I mean, mean it's pro- the it's, it's product of having a lot of old, good players who've been good for a yeah. number of years. I mean, most, I mean, the Antonio Brown contract, by the way, is a freaking bargain. When I was reporting that cap story last week, two weeks ago.
0: He makes $17.7 million next year. This was the last season where it was a bargain. He makes Hey, Listen,
1: man, he, I, I understand that it was a bargain this year and it'll explode next year, but compa- as far as how much the cap rises a year, which is $10 million a year, and Brown's percentage of it, the fact, he, he, here's why it's a bargain. Aside from the fact that it's 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 not a, a, a cap crippling percentage of the of, of, of the salary cap, it's a bargain because no receiver has reset the market. Because Odell Beckham, and I think Joe Banner said this, Odell Beckham's going to get a little bit more than Antonio Brown. And then Mike Evans is going to get a little more than Odell Beckham. And that's just how this works. The receiver position has not been reset in any meaningful way. And I think that As the cap rises $10 million a year at some point, and maybe it's Beckham, maybe Beckham says, screw you, Giants, I'm heading to free agency, but no one, no elite receiver has just said, I'm resetting the market. I'm going to make $24 million a year. Antonio Brown could in theory do that. And that's why he's a bargain.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think that, yeah, looking at that number, you know, it seems big, but he's a different sort of player. I mean, I think that there's no way you'd say that, man, they're really hurt because of how they're paying Antonio Brown. The problem for the Steelers is they're paying everyone the sticker price. There is no meaningful player on that team at this point, maybe outside of Juju and Martavis Bryant, who's a free agent, that is on a rookie or a comfortable deal. I mean, you look that's, at that's, they they just paid Stefan to it. He's making 13.6. Hayward's on his contract. Joe Hayden. I know everyone's like, I can't believe Joe Hayden was available. Joe Hayden make a $12 million next year. Joe Hayden, no bargain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not exactly a steal for this for Pittsburgh here. It's a Castro Pouncey. I mean, almost all the line feeling the wave is on a new deal. And Marcus Gilbert's gotten paid. I mean, they're really that they're paying exactly the market value for almost all these guys. And eventually that bill comes due and it's going to be a problem for them next year. They're going to have some decisions to make.
1: All right. I'm so Vance, Vance. McDonald makes more than $4 million a year. I,
0: I didn't know that Vance McDonald wasn't Jesse James yesterday. So that's probably not a good sign in that. I, mean, in I that just, I, I'm
1: not, I'm having a tough time on this. Why? Why is Vance McDonald do $4 million next year? He got like 16 targets
0: yesterday. So I mean, I, I wouldn't just write on has, Vance McDonald. He
1: has a thousand career yards. He's 27. Yeah, he's he's done very little to to impress me over the years.
0: All right. It's the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer podcast network.
1: In need of great talent for your business but short on time? You don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools, smarter tools. ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then, ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. They even review every application to identify the top candidates so you never miss a great match. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you, it finds them. No wonder 80% of employees who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate to the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. One more time to try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash NFL.
0: All right, let's get to uh, let's get to the Steve Sarkeesian special here and the Love Atlanta it. Falcons and Philadelphia Eagles. We kind of, in a, I know, I know, both of us picked Atlanta to win this game, but I feel like this
1: version of the game is something that did not surprise either one of us. Did you see the? Uh, this was perhaps the lowest point of the weekend. The the maybe Carson Wentz is a system quarterback discussion. Get the fuck on out! Late here. Saturday night, <laughs> it was amazing. It was like no, so so here here's 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 where we're at. Okay, uh, Carson Wentz is significantly better than Nick Foles, but Doug Peterson was able to draw up some fairly good third down plays that put Nick Foles in a position to go six of thirteen and look fairly decent. And a couple people on Twitter that I saw made the logical leap. That now Carson Wentz is just is just Nick Foles with more opportunities, which is uh, like a top five bad argument I've heard in the NFL this year. Nick Foles. Carson Wentz threw 33 touchdown passes this year. I don't. Carson like, Wentz was the most valuable player in football for the first 14 weeks. of the Yeah, season. I'm not sitting here listening to this argument. You can't Foles actually you can't fine. convince me. I might at this point, I might just vote for Carson Wentz to be MVP. I don't have a vote, but I might. Maybe he's still just MVP. Nick Foles was fine. Uh, and, and Nick Foles had two hundred and forty six yards. I mean, he,
0: he he played reasonably well. There were a lot of run pass options in the game, a very a ton of easy throws. You know, he hit several of them in Nelson Aguilar. The one to uh Matt Collins only nine yard game, but there's another run pass yeah. option that got him an easy throw that put him in field goal range. So yeah, I, I'm not really here for that. The one, you know, a couple of throws he made were impressive. I mean, the one to uh Jeffrey at the end of the half to get them a field goal was a, a nice play overall and another a great catch by Jeffrey. But I, I'm running out of, you know, great Nick Foles moments from that game. The offensive player in my mind that stuck out to me for Philly outside of the lineman who, you know, they played well again. Uh, the Jai trade really showed up in my mind on Saturday. He only ended with 54 yards, but he had 50 in the first half and just a ton of plays where he really made stuff happen that wasn't there. And I wrote about this today, but you know, when they traded for him, it kind of seemed like a luxury item. Their running game was very good. You know, They didn't necessarily need a running back. But now that we've transitioned from the Wentz to the Foles offense, it's not just about being able to plug and play a guy. You need somebody that can kind of conjure offense on his own because of how much focus is and attention is on the running game. And Ajayi, is that? I mean, the swing pass he took on third and seven in the fourth quarter 33 yards, I mean, that's just a play that... Nobody else in that offense is going to make. I mean, he is the guy to do that, and he's become extremely valuable because Nick Foles is the quarterback.
1: Totally agree. I mean, the Eagles had drives of fourteen plays, twelve plays, and fourteen plays. Um, yep. the t- one 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 of the twelve play and fourteen play drives were in the third and fourth quarter. Uh, the ability for them, you know, Chris Collinsworth is sort of going over the top about how LeGarrette Blunt is a closer. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's the right term for him, but their rushing games ability to just drain the clock. uh, I I really was impressed by that. And I was impressed. Do you see Lombardi has uh, admitted he was wrong about Doug Peterson?
0: I I did not. I I mean, I,
1: I feel like that's fair. Doug Peterson's done. Okay. But we all, everybody, we all have to do that every once in a while. Sure. Um, Having said that, uh, I felt like Doug Peterson was really good on Saturday. And I feel like he knows Nick Foles' limitations. I'm actually, I, I'm looking at it the other way. I'm looking at it, A, Doug Peterson is is a fairly good coach. The second thing I'm looking at is that Chip Kelly was a much better NFL coach than we give him credit for. Yes, I agree with you. I, I feel like Chip Kelly's just a good football coach, period. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I didn't know how to not just eight times during that game tweet Chip Kelly ruled as an NFL coach. Like, I just, he turned turned Nick Foles into a legitimate above average quarterback, which he clearly is not. He is clearly a very much average quarterback.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it just helps that he's surrounded by a very above average roster. I mean, this team is what Howie Roseman did and what that front office did in terms of just assembling the talent. Again, we talked about Ajayi, but it doesn't stop there. I mean, that defense was so good. Uh, On Saturday. I mean, what Fletcher Cox did to that Atlanta running game, just good Lord. I mean, Devontae Freeman had 10 carries for seven yards. I mean, he abused the interior of that Falcons offensive line. And without that running game, that Atlanta offense stalls. And, you know, Julio did his Julio stuff, but for the most part, you know, they didn't really have anything else outside of some perimeter runs to Tevin Coleman. That was it. And and I feel like when you can't run the ball, when you're this version of the Falcons, then you're going to struggle. And they eventually had a shot, but for the most part, that offense could get absolutely nothing going.
1: Okay, let's get to the real action. Steve Sarkeesian's play calling. Do you just want to talk about the last, the the goal line situation at the end? I mean, there's a million things we can talk about, but we can talk about the goal line. Sure. The first play is a fade to Julio. I have no problem with it. Yeah, sure.
0: Like That's okay for, it's okay to me. It's first down, you know. You have a centaur, throw him the ball. That's cool. Second down, I have more of a problem. That's when they threw that little shovel pass to Teron Ward. How many plays yeah. do you think Teron Ward played on Saturday?
1: Uh, I, you're going to have to tell me. I couldn't it's even begin two. to guess. It's two. Great. So Great. he played
0: two plays, one of which was a shovel pass uh, with the game hanging in the balance with less than two minutes remaining. Here's why I have several problems with that. One. That play does not involve Julio Jones in any way, shape, or form. And I'm not saying no. you have to throw the ball to him every time, but he's won a hell of a decoy in the red zone. So the fact that he wasn't even an option on that play is problematic. Issue number two, you're at the nine-yard line. Even if he catches that ball, what's the best thing that's going to happen? You're going to get to the five? Okay. <laughs> so you need to take two more shots at the end zone. Three, Devontae Freeman's very good at that play. Tevin
1: Coleman yeah, is also I was a very say, capable I mean, receiver. He's not even in like the top three running backs who could do that.
0: Yeah. Everything about it just doesn't make any sense to me. So that one, I take issue. Third down, slant to Julio is the single split receiver to the left. That's fine. You know, again, it involves Julio Jones. It, you're trying to get him in space. I, I don't mind that, you know, got you down inside the four, you know, give you one more shot to kind of punch it into the end zone. And now, now we get to the coup de grace here, which is the fourth down call. Beautiful. Let's let's begin with the biggest issue with all of this is that Derek Coleman, who is a fullback, is lined up wide to the left. Okay. Classic, <laughs> classic decoy. What are we thinking here? I, I don't are you trying to get them in base personnel by having two backs on the field? Okay. Like that's fine. Like that's a cool gimmicky thing. The Patriots do that a lot. Patriots do that when it's like second and three on the 42 yard line in the third quarter, not when your season is on the line. So they do it on October 11th. Yeah, exactly. So we know that the ball is not going that direction. Like it just, that is 100% is not going to be a part of the play. So now everything that could possibly happen is going to happen to the right. And not only do they limit their options to that side of the field, just based on alignment, They cut off one half of the field period by rolling Matt Ryan out in that direction to the short
1: side of the field. If there's one thing that we've learned from years of Madden, it's that you have to have on a game deciding play. You have to have as many options as possible. Correct. The entire flaw of the goal line package in Madden is it's too much play action and it's like two tight ends. And that those are your only options. It's a nightmare. You would never actually do that in a real game. And Sarkeesian, who at some point in his life had to have played at least the early Maddens, is, seems unaware that you need as many options possible. Not two options while sprinting right. He looked back to Derek Coleman. I never saw sort of an all-22 angle. When he looked back to the backside of the play, what was there for him? Because he looked right oh, back. I don't know.
0: I assume that, that was thing. just out of desperation. You probably saw his
1: fullback and remembered the play call and bailed. He was probably like, oh, wait, there's a fullback over there. Never mind. It was maddening. I mean, it's just. Julio it, fell it, down, but that's not the, the you have to remember that players fall down sometimes. So you can't put all of your eggs in one basket. Yes. Don't give yourself one receiver
0: on the play that will decide the game. I mean, line up with four guys, put Tevin Coleman in the slot, do something that that is just, it gives you more than one chance here. Julio is a good option if he's your only one, but there's no reason to make him your only one. It's the whole thing just kind of drives me crazy. I mean, the the Eagles defense deserves a lot of credit. They're fantastic. They played really well on Sunday, but this is just an offense that deserves so much better than what it got this year.
1: That's sad. It bummed me out. Yeah, it, it really does. Out it just watching me that sad because we we've watched a handful of really boring primetime games this year. This was a fifteen to ten game that was certainly not boring. But what I'm saying is that the Falcons are the type of team where they need to be like like Drew Brees, right? Like we talked about, Drew Brees putting up fifty six or more points combined in sixty percent of his playoff games. The Falcons. With the way their offense has been constructed, should be in that mix. They should not be in a game that we're combining twenty-five points. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, buddy. Speaking of
0: boring primetime games, uh, let's uh, yeah. let's, get, let, let's get in and out of this Patriots Titans game. What is there to say uh, about this outside of the fact that the Patriots are a much better football team than the Titans? This, this is exactly I like what we Corey Davis. Corey yeah. Davis is good. Corey Davis is fun. I think that with a new offensive coordinator and a new head coach, that team could be kind of interesting to
1: watch. Uh, yeah. I mean, it depends who it is. If they actually get Josh McDaniels, I'm officially intrigued. Yes. Yes. I, I feel if they the get Frank Reich, I'm le- I'm less intrigued.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I I like Josh McDaniels a little bit more, but I think that what the Eagles have done on offense is pretty fun.
1: Yeah, but I mean Doug Peterson has had a lot to do with that. That's
0: uh, parsing those the credit in situations like that is often difficult.
1: I'm going to go ahead and parse it. Um okay, but so the 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 I think that the Titans obviously John Robinson's done a nice job adding some some young talent to that roster. And I'm I'm excited to see a really competent head coach there. I think that it would have been interesting. I think it could have worked, you know, if if you didn't read the report on Monday morning, essentially uh, the Titans ownership talked to Mike Malarkey about an extension and then, but they would have to hire a new offensive coordinator. And Malarkey said no to that. It wasn't made clear if that was in place. I, I mean, Malarkey is the offensive coordinator, but there's a quarterbacks coach who has some say in, play design, Jason Michael, um, it, w- it was unclear uh, if, if who they were going to have to fire, um, but that was sort of it as Malarkey has principally walked away. I think this is good for the Titans. I, I just do.
0: I mean, if they weren't yeah, going to fire him, I, I felt like them winning that game against Kansas City ultimately was going to prove to be a bad thing if it meant that Malarkey was going to stay there. I mean, I, I, I'm i not trying to like, you know, good for Mike Malarkey. I, I hope that he remains gamefully employed, but. That's not what I'm after here. I, I think that Marcus Mariota can be a really good quarterback, and that offense has a, a gear or three that we have not seen.
1: He might. Did you see that um, Malarkey might go to Cleveland to be a Hugh Jackson's OC? Good Lord. Rappaport <laughs> reported that. Oh, no. What? There's so Why few is things everything- in life.
0: Why is everything terrible? I, the fact that Brian Schottenheimer is now going to yeah. coach Russell Wilson and Norv Turner is Cam Newton's offensive coordinator. And we're going to bring Mike Malarkey in to deal with Josh Rosen, whoever's the quarterback in Cleveland. Why
1: are we doing this? I just. Uh, I have some ideas on why we're doing it. Um, OK, so the Patriots looked fine. What? I mean, Brady's 30, 31 31 first downs.
0: I mean, again. Brady was a machine again. I mean, just that Titan secondary is kind of garbage, but he, I mean, they played poorly most of the season, and they've definitely against teams that do anything complicated on offense usually struggle. And that was the case again. I mean, but Brady was just masterful. The one thing I took away from the Patriots that was different than the versions we've seen of them so far this year I mean, eight sacks. And yeah. some of them were kind of, you know, cheap late in the down plays, but their pass rush was really good. Trey Flowers. I think is somebody that nobody really talks about because the Patriots play a certain way. You know, they're not pinning their ears back pass rushers for the most part. He had six and a half sacks in the season and they really let him loose yesterday. And I was impressed. When he's moving downhill, he can make some stuff happen. And the reason I kind of took notice of that is because Bortles, when pressured, it just has no chance. And he was clean the entire game against Pittsburgh. It's a big reason they were able to do what they did. I mean, if that pass rush is anything close to what we saw yesterday or on Saturday, at least then I think that it's a boon for what new England's going to do for the next two games.
1: The Patriots sent more than four pass rushers at Mariota. This is a PFF stat just seven times on those plays. He went five of six for one touchdown and 143 passer rating. And so I think it's interesting if, if they can get a four man rush, that's that's how you win the Super Bowl. I mean, I just think that um, it's it's the the blitzing has not been incredible, as you can see. I mean, obviously, it's a small sample size, but um, I agree. Trey Flowers is uh, is a key to that defensive line. Is there anything else you want to say? I'm going to get out of here, buddy. I what what else is there to say about? I mean, the the, the Blake Bortles Patriots matchup, which we'll get you more later in this week, is. As unpredictable matchup as I, c- I could remember. I'm it's ready so to believe fun. anything about the Jaguars.
0: It's so fun. I'm really looking forward to the Bortles-Patriots pa- pa- thing. And I'm excited that the Vikings won. I mean, I, I think that Saints-Vikings was the NFC championship game in a lot of ways in my mind. I think those are the two teams that best. The, 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 those are the best two teams left in my mind. Uh, I think that the, Saint, the Vikings are a better team. I think they will beat the Eagles. I mean, S- Vikings-Patriots is a fun Super Bowl. I mean, that, that is a really good matchup no doubt. that I will love watching.
1: I mean, once Wentz went down and Wentz versus Brady is without a doubt, was without a doubt on December 2nd that morning that Wentz got hurt, was without a doubt the best possible Super Bowl matchup. But Vikings-Patriots is 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 second. And now, as far as health goes, is, is number one, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and I think that Zimmer against Belichick is two excellent coaches. I mean, that's the one I want to see. And I feel like we're kind of headed that way. We'll dig into that over the next couple weeks here, though. Yeah. For now, as always, we really appreciate you guys listening. Thanks for listening to the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network.